We are continuing this morning with our series, The Way of Jesus, in which we're seeking to take seriously the life, the teachings, the person of Jesus, understanding Jesus to be our teacher, and understanding us to be not only his followers, but also his students and his apprentices, paying attention to what Jesus said and what he taught about life and how a person can live in the kingdom of God and experience the sort of life that Jesus described as both abundant and eternal which he has made possible and into which he invites us. Uh, So with that as our aim, let's again pray briefly. God, help us to be attentive to you, to the things you would have us know and learn and the ways you would have us grow and the ways that you would transform us in your grace and according to your goodness and your will. We ask that you would give us eyes that are good to see and ears that are good to hear and hearts that are good to receive your word. I pray and ask that as my words are true to your word, that they be taken to heart. If my words in any way stray from your word, may they not even be heard. We pray in Christ the Lord. Amen. So we live in an age in which people seem to not want to talk about sin, as if sin does not exist. And yet we know that right and wrong exist. We all know that something inside of us confirms that, without a doubt, when someone else wrongs us. Is it not true? We know that there is right and wrong, good and bad, especially when someone hurts us. And if others have wronged us, it is fairly likely that we also have wronged others. And if that is the case, what can be done about those injured or fractured or damaged relationships, either that others have caused or that we have caused? What do we do with others who have wronged us? What do we do when others hurt us? What do we do with the resulting pain and sometimes anger, disappointment, frustration, sometimes suffering? What do we do with all of that? Well, listen to what Jesus says, reading from the Gospel of Mark chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. Listen closely. This is the Word of God. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. Capernaum was home for Jesus at that time. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And Jesus preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to Jesus a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus or close to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. Jesus reads minds. Jesus is a mind reader. Jesus knows our minds. And Jesus said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say to him, get up, take your mat, and walk? 
And of course, Jesus here is asking a rhetorical question. And the answer to his rhetorical question was, of course, it's easier to say to a person, your sins are forgiven, than it is to heal that person so that that person is all of a sudden able to get up and walk. Of course, it's easier to say a few words than to heal a person. And Jesus continued, but I want you to know that the Son of Man, which is Jesus' favorite way of referring to himself, the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So Jesus said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. The man got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. And if you were like me, you remember the Sunday school version of this, or you remember this story from Sunday school, but we forget how much of the conversation and the action in this story is about the forgiving of a paralyzed man. We visualize, we focus on the paralyzed man lying on a mat and being lowered through the roof. And what is significant about the man and this story in our minds is that he could not walk, and then he could walk. But as Mark actually recounts the story, what was most important to Jesus was not the man being able to walk, but the forgiving of the man, a person being forgiven. Neither Mark nor Jesus suggest that the paralyzed man was in any way worse morally or behavior-wise than any other person there that day. He wasn't a thief. He hadn't committed adultery. He wasn't a traitor. He hadn't committed perjury or slander or larceny or fraud. He hadn't assaulted, molested, or abused anyone. He was just another guy who just happened to be paralyzed. And Jesus thought that it was really important, maybe more important than anything else, that this man be forgiven. And that everyone present know that he was being forgiven, which is interesting and may cause a person, one of us, to wonder if we too would benefit from being forgiven, if we too need to be forgiven, if we also would be better off if we were forgiven by God, by Jesus, by others. Might we also be better off if we could get into and get to be a part of this whole forgiveness thing? About six weeks ago in this series about the way of Jesus, we talked about prayer and about Jesus teaching his disciples how to pray. And as a part of Jesus teaching his disciples how to pray, he gave his students a model or a guide for prayer. And part of that guide or model was these words, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, or forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, or most simply, forgive us our sin as we forgive those who sin against us. And we saw and we see Jesus inviting his apprentices into this whole enterprise of forgiveness in which we are forgiven and we do forgive. God forgives us which empowers us to become forgiving people and to forgive others. At first glance of those passages in Jesus' model for prayer, one might think that Jesus is trying to coerce his students into forgiving other people by making their forgiveness from God contingent upon their forgiving other people. In other words, God will forgive you if and as 
you forgive others. And while that may not be exactly how things work, there is probably some interconnectedness there. Jesus taught his disciples to call out to God for forgiveness and to rely on God for forgiveness and to trust God for their forgiveness and to appreciate God's mercy in his forgiving. But Jesus also taught his students to forgive other people first for the blessing that doing so will be for the other person, but also second for themselves for their own sake. Are you with me? At least part of what Jesus had in mind and still has in mind today when he teaches his students to pray is to forgive other people because of the benefits of such for Jesus' students themselves. In the 18th chapter of Matthew's gospel, Jesus teaches his disciples how to respond to uh, brother, when brothers and sisters in the faith fail to love one another when there is sin or division or discord or transgressions among them and in the church, when people hurt or betray each other, which always happens. And Jesus says that sin and transgressions should be acknowledged, that they should be confronted, that they should be dealt with, and that they should be forgiven. To which Jesus' student Peter asks, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times, and seven was kind of understood to be this holistic or complete or perfect number. And Jesus replies, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times, or some older translations say 70 times seven. In other words, Jesus was saying, forgive over and over and over and over again, far more often and far more regularly and freely and generously than one ever might imagine doing. Which leads us to ask, what really does it mean to forgive? And we're going to start with talking about forgiving, though, first what forgiving does not mean. About what forgiving does not involve. First, forgiveness does not mean denying that you've been hurt or even minimizing one hurts, one's hurts. After all, uh, other people get hurt, so my hurt must not be that bad. Forgiving doesn't mean minimizing or denying one's own hurt. Forgiving does not mean that you no longer feel the pain of the offense. Forgiveness does not mean that what another person did was okay. To forgive is not to justify or offer an explanation for why someone did something. Somehow forgiveness has come to be confused with approval, and that is just not the case. Forgiveness does not mean that you give up on longing for justice for longing for what is right, for longing for the scales to be balanced, or even to give up on seeking justice in one's own life or in the court system and the legal system. Forgiveness absolutely is not about forgetting another person's offense or hoping, quote, that time will heal all wounds. Forgiving and forgetting are different things. Forgiving is not simply forgetting another person's offense. Forgiveness absolutely does not mean making it easy or okay for someone to hurt you again either. To forgive is not to become a doormat and to say this was okay and if it happens again, it's okay. And forgiving someone is different than asking God to forgive a person who hurts you. Asking God to forgive another person is important and it's related but is different than taking ownership and stepping into that action oneself. 
And forgiveness is not a once and for all moment or even an event or action, but rather a process, which is probably part of why Jesus says, forgive not once and not seven times, but 77 times to get to that place of completeness, wholeness, perfection. Forgiveness must be our ongoing practice. And forgiveness doesn't necessarily mean being reconciled or reunited with someone. Sounds like it should, but it doesn't necessarily. Sometimes uh, being reunited with someone is not the healthiest or the best path, at least not immediately. And partly because it takes two people to be reunited. It takes one person to forgive. But both people are not always ready, prepared, or mature enough to be reunited which takes us to what forgiveness really does mean. What does forgiveness mean? What does it look like to forgive? Forgiving does mean acknowledging the wrongdoing or an offense that hurt or that resulted in hurt. Forgiving does mean deciding to find a way forward through the pain, through the hurt, through the anger, through the bitterness. Deciding to move forward and to not live in that forever. Forgiving does mean giving up one's right to get even. It it means resolving to not seek revenge, which is our human nature and which we see all around us, do we not? And forgiving does mean seeking to do good toward the offender rather than bad, as the Apostle Paul wrote to the Romans in chapter 12. And why should we forgive? Why does Jesus so emphatically commend forgiving to his students? Why is forgiving important? In addition to simply the reality that Jesus is our teacher and we trust him. We talk about having faith in Jesus, but that means that we trust him. We trust his way. We trust him as a teacher. We trust his character. We trust that he knows what is best even for us. In addition to simply the reality that Jesus is our teacher, we should forgive because he continually committed his disciples to that process. In addition, Jesus calls us to forgive because God has forgiven us, because we have been rescued from the pit of destruction ourselves by the grace of God through Jesus. And in forgiving others, we slowly begin to show forth our gratitude for that. And we become a little bit more like the one who forgives us, each time we forgive, being formed and reformed and transformed into the image and the likeness of Jesus. We become more like our master and our teacher who said so mercifully and generously, graciously from the cross to and about those who were driving spikes through his feet and hands, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Forgiving is important because in Christ we have been forgiven and in forgiven and in forgiving we become more like him. Next, forgiving is important because doing so can bless other people. It can free others from guilt. It can give them hope. To forgive another person from the heart is an act of liberation that we have the power to do or to give. We set that person free from the negative bonds that forever would otherwise entangle the two of us in our relationship. And third, when we forgive people, we free ourselves. In the words of Albert Hass, 
It takes a lot of emotional and psychological energy to keep a wound open, to keep a grudge alive. The longer I allow a wound to fester, the more bitterness, anger, and self-pity poison my blood and eat at my heart, he says. And maybe you have had that experience. Going further, Warren Wiersbe wrote, the most miserable prison in the world is the prison we make for ourselves when we refuse to show mercy. Our thoughts become shackled, our emotions are chained, the will is almost paralyzed, but when we show mercy, all of these bonds are broken and we enter into a joyful liberty that frees us to share God's love with others. That sounds good. As Lewis Meads often said, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that that prisoner was you. Jesus wants all people to be free from such bondage and such hate as he was free from and free of such. And now who to forgive? And this list could go on. You may need to forgive your parents, or a child, or a sibling. You may need to forgive your spouse, or a boyfriend or a girlfriend, or a former spouse. You may need to forgive a boss, or a coworker, or someone you supervised, someone in the workplace who made your life difficult, painful, stressful, unbearable. You may need to forgive someone who abandoned you or who let you down or someone who betrayed you or someone who lied to you or who acted incredibly selfishly or who ignored you. You may need to forgive a pastor. You may need to forgive a doctor or a nurse or a money manager, a financial planner or an accountant. You may need to forgive someone who stole from you who stole from you money or memories or months of your life? And when should we forgive? It seems that this answer, the answer to this question is not too soon, but also not too far into the future. There is a danger in forgiving so quickly, automatically, that we do not look wrongdoing or evil in the face and call it what it is and let its horror shock and stun us before we go ahead and forgive it. The opposite danger is to let something go on too long before forgiving. A teacher had each of his students take a clear plastic bag and take a bunch of potatoes, and for each person they had not forgiven and up to that point were unwilling to forgive, they had them, he had them write those people's names on a potato and put that potato in the bag and then carry that bag around with them everywhere they went to work, to class, in their car with them, by the side of their bed, as they slept at night, as long as they were unwilling to forgive. And not only did that bag of potatoes get heavier and heavier over time, but if you know what happens with potatoes, they begin to deteriorate and take on a stench and become slimy and smell. And so it wasn't only the weight that became an increasing burden on this teacher's students, but the stench reminding each of them 
of how uh, unforgiveness can deteriorate our hearts as we choose to live and live on with it. We should be careful about forgiving too soon, in other words, instantly, but also not hang on to our hurts for very long. And now simply, how do we forgive? A few just tips and steps. Pray and ask the Holy Spirit to help you. Acknowledge the wrongdoing and acknowledge your own hurt. Affirm that the offending person is also a child of God. Martin Luther King Jr. in all of his work emphasized this over and over, that the best of people had some bad evil within them. And the worst of people also had some good and some remainder of the image of God in them. Affirm that the offending person is also like you, a child of God. Next, release that person from the debt that you may feel that they owe to you. And similarly but different, relinquish your right or maybe even your desire to get even. Revenge, vengeance is an ugly thing. And then finally, wish the other person well. Lewis Meads often said, you know that you have forgiven someone or you are making progress in the process of forgiving when you begin to wish the other person well. To forgive other people is hard. It is really hard for me. It always has been really hard for me. And it felt like a curse, something that I could not do from my childhood on. But friends, what are the alternatives? What is the alternative? Jesus calls his apprentices to forgive repeatedly, continually, always, to practice forgiveness as part of walking in his way. Without forgiveness, our lives are governed by an endless cycle of resentment and retaliation. We see that again in the world, in politics, in business, in sports. Resentment, Nelson Mandela said, is like drinking poison and then hoping that will kill one's enemies. It doesn't work that way. I'm going to ask you as we think about these things to listen to a couple of minutes of a testimony by a man named Hector Black. So you can close your eyes, uh, listen closely. This is only a tiny bit of his story but of his journey into, out of pain, and into forgiveness. Let's listen. We learned about what had happened in bits and pieces. She came home, and he was hiding in a closet, hoping to jump out the back window and get away. But she opened the closet door, and she fell backwards, and he tied her hands behind her back. And they had a conversation in the course of which she told him that he needed to get help with his drug habit. He told her to put burglar bars on the back window and always leave a light on. He asked her for sex. And she said, you'll have to kill me first. And so he did. We were all just devastated. Nothing like this had ever happened. I mean, we'd known death, but not like this. 
I'd never been in favor of the death penalty, but I wanted that man to hurt the way he had hurt her. I wanted him to hurt the way I was hurting. But after a while, I wanted to know who it was, what kind of a monster would do a thing like this. And I learned a little bit about Ivan Simpson, which his name. I found out that he was born in a mental hospital and that when he was about 11 years old, his mother took him and his brother and sister to a swimming pool and said God was ordering her to destroy them. He escaped and his brother escaped from her, but he watched while his mother drowned his little sister. Susie and I both went to the district attorney's office and he was quite upset when we told him that we did not want this man killed. He pled guilty to every charge. And then it came turn for anybody who had been affected by the crime to say how this crime had affected them. So I read my statement, and in the statement I said, I don't hate you, Ivan Simpson, but I hate with all my soul what you did to my daughter. And I looked in his eyes. The tears were streaming down his cheeks. And before he was led away, he asked to speak and was led to the microphone. And he twice said, I'm so sorry for the pain that I've caused. And when I got back to my room that night, I couldn't sleep because I really felt as though a tremendous weight had been lifted from me. and that I had forgiven him. By the grace of God, none of us, hopefully most of us, have never and will never have an experience like that. But it has been said that he who has forgiven an enemy has tasted one of the more sublime enjoyments of life and come to know the God of all creation, the God of love, the God of peace, the God who forgives. Who do you need to forgive? Today, tomorrow, this week. I'm going to take just about 30 seconds and allow us to have a moment of reflection for ourselves in silence. And maybe you want to write some, someone's name down. Maybe you want to commit today to going through the steps of forgiveness with someone in your life this week. It is an invitation that Jesus invites us to and that he makes possible somehow by his grace and mercy and forgiveness of us and to which he empowers us and to which he wants, yearns for, desires and seeks for us his people, that we might experience his freedom and that we might experience his joy and that his kingdom might come around us and among us and within us. It's going to take about 30 seconds and then Stephen's going to lead us in song.